You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Well, today is the second biggest holiday of the year here in America in terms of money spent, second only to Christmas. Consumers are expected to spend more than $10 billion this year on Halloween. Our neighborhood goes all out for Halloween. There is a haunted maze that attracts people. It's been building over the years, and it's getting bigger and bigger. It attracts people from all over. One of my favorite elements is there's one neighbor that um, is in the music industry, and so he puts together about a 30-piece professional jazz band that performs uh, out of their driveway, and it's just amazing. And then you should see the graveyard that our next-door neighbors <laughs> construct in, in front of their house every year. Tonight, we will have, if the averages hold, probably around 100 kids come knocking on our door looking for candy. We are a big Halloween neighborhood. Now, for Christians, Halloween is a difficult holiday to navigate. And that's because there's no way to ignore the darkness and the evil that permeate this holiday. But what do we do? Do we just stay home and turn out the lights? I grew up in a Christian home, and I have some really fond memories of Halloween. We'd uh, trick-or-treat for hours. We'd come home uh, with more candy than we'd ever seen all year. We'd sort out that candy, and then we'd drink hot chocolate, and then we'd stay up way past our bedtime. I mean, for a kid, it just doesn't get any better than that. But the Halloween celebration that will descend on my neighborhood and your neighborhood tonight is very different from my childhood Halloween experience. This profound difference really hit home for me when I went trick-or-treating with our first grandchild years ago. She was terrified as I went from house to house with her. And for good reason. I don't remember disembodied limbs and severed heads laying in the yards of our neighborhood growing up. And the ghosts that we encountered were kids wearing sheets, not these fully animated, contorted-faced goblins that pounce to life whenever someone moves past them. It's clear that Halloween has gotten a lot darker and a lot scarier over the years. So again, what is a Christian to do with Halloween? What's a Christian parent to do with Halloween? Now, as you might expect, there are a wide range of opinions on this topic. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at Halloween from three perspectives that I think will be helpful as you come to your own conclusions about how to navigate this dark holiday. The first perspective I want to look at is the perspective of history, Halloween history. It's always helpful to know when you're trying to think about what to do to, to really understand how did we get here? What's the history of Halloween that brought us to where we are? Halloween began before the arrival of Jesus Christ. It was a Druid festival. Druidism is a religion centered on the worship of trees. Actually, Druids are the ones from which we get the phrase knock on wood. On November 1st, the Druids would gather to celebrate Samhain. They believed that Samhain was the Lord of the dead who sent evil spirits uh, abroad into the world to attack humans. And the Druids believed that on the eve of this festival, October 31st, the veil between this present world and the spirit world was pierced on October 31st, and the result was demons were released into the world to harass the living. And the only way to escape these demons on October 31st 
would be to assume disguises and look like an evil spirit yourself. And if your disguise failed to trick the demons, the only other hope of escape was to offer them a treat of food. And this is where trick or treat came from. Most, in fact, most of our current Halloween practices can be traced back to, the, to these old pagan rites and the superstitions of these druids. Now, with the arrival of Jesus Christ, with his birth, and the good news of the mercy and the forgiveness offered by the one true God, not the fake God Solomon, but the one true God, the Christian faith began to spread throughout the Roman Empire and into Europe and beyond. Europe, and particularly um, France and what is now modern-day the United Kingdom, that's really where the Druid religion originated and was dominant. And the Christian faith began to spread into this region of the world. And the result was many pagans, even many Druids, became Christian. Now, this was before the invention of the printing press, so they didn't have Bibles. They couldn't read the Bible for themselves and learn for themselves. And even if they did, most people back then were illiterate and couldn't read. So the result was that many of these new Christians, these new believers, brought with them their old superstitions, their old thinking into the church, including this festival. So pretty early on, the church decided to establish a rival celebration. And they designated November 1st as All Saints Day. The idea was this, rather than fearing the onslaughts of evil spirits, All Saints Day celebrated the Christians who had died in the previous year. And they held a mass the evening prior to All Saints Day, and that mass was called All Hallow Mass. Hallow for holy. And so October 31st became known as All Hallow E'en, E'en for evening, or as we know it now, Halloween. So the word Halloween literally means holy, that's hallow, hallowed be thy name, holy is thy name, and evening, that's what the word Halloween means, holy evening. So Halloween was really an attempt by Christians, the church, to replace the Druid tradition with the truth, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this, of course, wasn't the only pagan ritual that was replaced by the church on our annual calendar. Both Christmas and Easter have their origins in pagan festivals as well. December 25th is not the actual date of the birth of Jesus Christ. We really don't know the actual day of his birth. December 25th was originally a pagan festival celebrating the birthday of the Roman god Mithra. And so the early church like they did with Halloween and All Saints Day. The early church chose that day, December 25th, to establish a rival festival to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And they called that day Christ Mass. It was a mass celebrating the birth of Christ, or as we now know it as Christmas, Christ Mass. Easter was like that too. Easter was originally a pagan springtime festival, but Christians chose that time of the year to establish a rival celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So while the world has all but forgotten the gods of ancient, ancient mythology from which these dates originally were celebrated, all around the world, every year, we are reminded that 2,000 years ago, Jesus arrived in a manger, and that he died on a cross, and that he rose from the grave. So this brings us, that's the history of how we got to where we are. 
That brings us to the second perspective I want to consider, and that is Halloween hoaxes. Our current form of Halloween promotes some lies. I mean, it should be no surprise to us that as our culture moves away from our Christian heritage, these former pagan festivals also begin to revert back to their pagan roots, or at the very least are drained of their previous Christian meanings. But as followers of Jesus Christ, this represents, I think, a tremendous opportunity for us to make these holidays, holy days, holy once again. So while our culture is celebrating Santa Claus and his North Pole reindeer, we are teaching our children the truth of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, and we are celebrating the greatest gift that's ever been given. We are taking back that day. And while for most people, Easter is now about the Easter bunny and colored eggs and eating way too much chocolate and other food, we are teaching our children the story of the death of Christ and of his resurrection three days later and what that means for our broken hearts and our broken world. And I think that we should do the same thing with Halloween. I think we should take Halloween back as well. The challenge, of course, with Halloween is that we're not up against a harmless bunny or a rosy-cheeked man from the North Pole. We are dealing with dismembered bodies and skeletons and terrifying monsters and people dressed up like porn stars. So again, what is a Christian to do on this day? Well, first of all, and always, a Christian must think. They must think before they act, something that is in short supply these days. Thinking must always precede acting. If we don't think, we will just conform to the culture around us and eventually become Christian in name only. Or we will overreact and separate ourselves completely from the culture and lose the edge of the whole reason that God has us still here, and that is to be a light to this world. Romans 12, verse 2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Think first. If you don't think, you're just going to be conformed to the culture and the ideas around you. So as we think about the current Halloween experience, we need to recognize the hoaxes, the lies that are being told to our culture. And I think Halloween represents, right now in its current form, two significant lies two hoaxes that we must recognize for what they are. The first lie, the first hoax is this, and that is that evil is really harmless. It's just a little harmless fun. This is about the dark side of Halloween. Now, there's both a kid's version of Halloween and an adult version of Halloween. I want to address the kids first, and then we'll talk about the adult version. In the kid's version, this is the one night a year when the devil, the demons, and the monsters they animate take center stage. They will walk our streets tonight in costume form, along with Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Cinderella, and all of the other creatures of fantasy. And the message of this is pretty strong, and that is that they, Satan and his demons and the monsters they animate, they are all, like Batman and Superman and Cinderella, they're all just harmless fairy tales. They're not real. That is not true. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 in the New Testament, we read this. Be self-controlled and alert. 
Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy, the devil, is real. He is not Superman. He is not a Marvel comic character. He is real. God describes this world as fallen, which means it's a mixture of good, the good he created, and the evil that entered it through the temptation of Satan and the actions of Adam and Eve. Now, this fall did not create a race of hideous-looking creatures that can be identified as evil by their mere appearance. It created people with hearts that are capable of great evil. And these hearts reside in the bodies of normal-looking people like us. And what this means is that evil does not wear an evil mask. It does wear a mask. It wears the mask of normal. It looks normal. So if we don't tell our children otherwise, and if we don't learn otherwise, every Halloween our kids will learn two lessons about evil. One is evil is the stuff of cartoons. It's not real. It's just harmless fun. And the second lesson they'll learn is if you ever do come across evil, you will notice it. The rotting skin and the disfigured face and the claws will warn you, this is evil staring at you. And the problem is when they encounter evil dressed up in a normal face and hiding behind a smile, they will not recognize it for what it is. That's the kid version. There is an adult version of Halloween. Halloween has been growing from a primarily kids thing to an increasingly adult thing. It's become the night for adults to indulge temptations and stop resisting their darker sexual urges. One author I read recently described Halloween this way. It's dress like a porn star and act like one night now for many adults. And again, the message is clear. A little different, but it says the same message. There is no harm in being a little evil. It's just people having a little fun, letting loose for just one night. But while it may be fun, evil is far from harmless. Evil is deadly. Here's what we are warned in the New Testament book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. We all have this in us. He is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Our evil desires, like all living things, are alive, which means they grow. They don't just stay in one night. They turn into action. This is really describing a pregnancy in this verse, the conception of a child. Desire conceives an action. Eventually, what is conceived out of desire and given birth to is a sin, a wrong. It moves then from internal desire to external reality. But desire never stops with one action, one evening. It always grows, just like a child does. It grows up. It progresses from a single act into patterns of repeated action. And these patterns take on a life of their own. It's kind of like our children. It just naturally grows up. That's the way all living things are. But eventually, we lose control of these patterns. They grow into adults, kind of like we lose control of our kids. They grow up, and 
move out and make their own decisions. But the problem is these desires that give birth to sin, that give birth to patterns, they don't grow up and move out because these are our sinful patterns. And what they end up doing is they start destroying, they start putting to death everything good in our life, everything we value. As it says at the end, sin gives birth to death. Not immediately, probably not tonight, but the seeds that are sown tonight, if they're not dealt with, they can grow up to kill a marriage five years from now, to kill a dream 10 years from now, to destroy a life 30 years from now. So maybe one night, and it may seem small, but it's a big deal to let go for even one night. The second hoax, the second lie, I think, of Halloween is that death is trivial. This is about the scary side of Halloween. You know, the blood, the gore, and all the skeletons point to the other major theme of Halloween, and that is death. If you ever have had someone close to you die, or you've been to a funeral and seen the tears flow, you know that death is no minor laughing matter. It is not really a legitimate form of entertainment. So then why is the second largest holiday on our calendar all about glorifying and even celebrating death? I think it's a way for us to mask the real fear that we all face. It's a laughter, but I suspect it's a nervous laughter. You see, to be scared about something that turns out to not be real, like we do at Halloween, is far preferred to being scared by the real horror that should keep us up at nights. It's a distracting horror, distracting us from the real horror. The fantasy fear keeps us from facing the reality of our fear. You see, it's far more entertaining to watch a horror movie than it is to live a horror life. And a night laughing at death helps us trivialize it and put it out of our mind. But it lies about the truth of death. The truth is that we are all scared to death of death. We are all living in fear of death. And we are walking in the shadow of death. And therefore, fear haunts, literally haunts, our days. And for good reason. It's not just a Halloween fantasy. It's a truth. Hebrews 2, verse 14 through 15, we read this. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, we are the children, we have flesh and blood bodies. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, too shared in their humanity. He became one of us. Why? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Who is that? That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This says the devil is the one who owns death. He has the power of death. Why? Because he is the one who invented the cause of death, and that is sin. Sin separates us from God, and therefore, since God is the source of life, the result of sin is death. Death is Satan's idea, and it is his ultimate goal for you and for me. So sin brought death, and death brought fear. And that fear is the truth about our condition. 
Death now casts a shadow of fear on every day that precedes the day of our death. And as it says in this verse, we are now literally prisoners to fear. We are in this prison of fear. It's a slave prison of fear. We can't get away from it. Even if we laugh at what we're afraid of one night, we'll wake up tomorrow morning still afraid. And this fear is a human prison. What I mean by that is it's only us humans that are in this prison. And what that means is that God cannot destroy this prison from the outside without destroying all of the prisoners that are on the inside. That is us. God could do away with all fear and all sin, but it would be the end of us. What we need is some kind of jailbreak from the inside out. There is no outside-in solution to this fear. But the only ones who can get into the prison are humans. It appeared that the devil had constructed a perfect prison for humans. God could destroy it, but that would destroy us. And he can't get inside of this prison because he's not one of us. So God did the unthinkable. He shared in our humanity. He took on a flesh and blood body. Now, his name was Jesus Christ, and I'm sure the devil didn't think this was even possible. We have a hard time getting our mind wrapped around this. I'm sure the devil saw this happening and thought, what? I didn't know he could do that. He never imagined it. And what happened is God devised a jailbreak from the inside of this prison. He took on a body so he could get inside this prison of sin and death and fear. And in that prison on this earth, he died in our place. And then he conquered death. He rose from the dead. Now, if we will accept his offer of forgiveness and decide to follow Jesus as our Lord, he will lead us out of this fear prison. So death and the fear that it's attached to is nothing to laugh at. It's the core truth about our predicament. It's not a trivial matter. It's the one true horror of this life, and if it's not remedied, the life to come. So to dress up as the dead or the nearly dead or the undead, whatever that is, is to make light of what Jesus did on our behalf. Now the third perspective. Halloween hallowed or made holy again. Remember the word Halloween is our word. It's a Christian word. It literally means holy evening. The word holy means to be set apart for the purposes of God. To be sliced off from all the other days to do something that is pleasing to God. We are to live holy lives daily. We are people sliced off from the rest of the culture, set apart to carry out what God wants us to do. We may look like everyone else, but our agenda is very different. We are to be the holy ones, not the perfect ones, that's impossible, but the ones who live for his purposes. 
So on this evening, when our culture, like the pagan cultures of the past, celebrate evil and death, I think this is a great chance for us to celebrate the forgiveness and the eternal life that Jesus offers. The light that conquered the darkness. The question is, how do we do that today, tonight? I think, like Christmas and Easter, Halloween is a great opportunity to be a light in our world. So my recommendation is this. Don't turn off the lights, lock the door, and pretend like no one's home. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Earlier, Jesus said, when you light a light in a room, you don't put a bushel basket over it because the purpose of the candle, the light, would be extinguished. Same is true with us. We don't close the doors, turn off the light, and shine brightly inside our homes. We are to be a light in this world. So I have some practical suggestions, and I would encourage you to take this much further. This is just to kind of get you thinking. You're in different stages of life. A lot of these ideas are if you're parents of younger kids. Here's my first suggestion. Enjoy and engage in the fun parts of Halloween and avoid the evil and the scary parts. There are lots of fun costumes and Halloween decorations that do not emphasize these two hoaxes. Second suggestion, come up with images that represent the truth to counter the hoaxes. This is what we did as a family. Every Halloween, we would get out this glass angel. Became known as our Halloween angel. We put a little candle in the back, and we'd set it on our table, and we'd talk about how Jesus came to shine his light in the dark, and how the light is far more powerful than the dark. And we turn off all the lights in the house, and it's always amazing, never gets old, the power of one single candle to push back the darkness. And we talk about how Jesus was like that candle and how the darkness cannot conquer the light. The darkness has to flee. We can see now because there's a candle. And as they got older, we talked more about how Jesus defeats darkness in us and in our world. So, I don't know if this is just a suggestion. I don't even remember where my wife got this. I call it the Halloween angel, but just to be clear, that's not a thing. There, there is, I'm not aware of a Halloween angel. But the angels are the servants and messengers of God. They are the counterpart to the demons who are the servants and messengers of Satan. So we celebrated the light, not the dark. Another suggestion is teach your children the truth about the unseen world of Satan and the powers of Jesus Christ. Help them learn how to battle their fear. You know, children... They're all convinced that there are monsters before anyone tells them a monster story. I don't know if you've noticed this. Our kids invented monsters before they'd ever seen a scary master or watched anything scary. They were convinced that something was under their bed or in the closet. They knew it. And we would open the closet and we would get them to climb out of bed and we'd look under the bed and there was nothing there. They'd climb back into bed We'd close the door. Five minutes later, they'd be screaming, 
the monster is there again. All kids are like this in varying degrees. History is full of monster stories. Because everyone is born with this innate sense that danger is lurking out there somewhere. It's hiding under the bed. It's in the closet. It's around the corner. It's in the trees. Why is this the common consensus of kids around the world? It's because they're right. Danger is out there. The enemy and his vast horde is invisible. And they are trying to advance the darkness. So as a parent, you are the one to help them to understand the real danger in this world. Who Satan really is. What his goals really are. How he advances his work in our lives and in our world. And how we can counter that. You need to teach your children how to pray against the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ and how they can begin to experience help in the face of their fears. This is a powerful thing that as parents we can pass on to our kids. And I can think of very few other days in the year when fear reigns and you have just a tremendous opportunity to teach your kids this is not fantasy stuff this is the one moment of the year where our culture they don't think it but they're actually right about what this unseen world likes like if you could look out at our neighborhood on any given day it would look like what it looks like tonight if you could see the unseen world your kids need to know this this is you're not making things up you're not imagining things you're right there is a reason to be scared, but there is a reason to conquer the fear. There is an answer to the fear. There is a Lord who defeated Satan and defeated death and every fear that is attached to death, and your kids need to know this. And you know what? It's much easier to teach kids this than it is adults. You teach kids this, and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You, you try to say this to a, an adult, and they're like, I've got five, five more questions now. When you answer those five questions, it's like, I don't know. But you teach a three-year-old this? Yep, got it. Next thing you know, they're in the middle of their dark room, and they're praying, in the name of Jesus Christ, help me against my fear. The adults are slow on this. The kids know this stuff. So as a parent, you are the one to help them understand the darkness and the light. And then another suggestion is don't look down or criticize on those who engage in the hoaxes of Halloween. Don't walk around your neighborhood tonight with this attitude of like, you awful people, you. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't be that person. Because they, they don't know. They've, they don't know. Maybe you didn't know the history of Halloween and what's actually going on here. Even if you knew it before today, there was a time when you didn't know it. They don't know. Be kind. Be nice. Don't criticize or look down. Then the last suggestion is, I would encourage you to use the opportunity of tonight to get to know your neighbors. I mean, strike up conversations. 
our neighborhood, I mean, you won't be able to drive through our neighborhood because everyone's on the streets walking, especially that jazz band concert. I mean, it, it, the street's just full of people. And we see some neighbors that have stepped out of their homes that we haven't seen in a while. COVID has brought more people out, but Halloween is probably second to that. Those are tremendous opportunities tonight. So get out there. Strike up conversations. Be kind. And let your light shine before others so that they may see what you're doing and glorify God the Father. The idea is that eventually, as they see your life and as, you hear the, as they hear the truth from you, they will come to also understand who the Father is and they will follow Jesus Christ and they will glorify him. But we must be a light to this world. So have a great Halloween. Let me pray for us as the band comes up to lead us in our last song. Father, we are so grateful that you have shown us the truth. You've pulled back the curtain on the unseen world in the pages of the Bible. And we now know the truth, that it's not the great oaks that the Druids thought were the powers that ran everything, but it's you, creator of heaven and earth, ruler of all. And we thank you for, Jesus, your decision, because we, as humanity, have flesh and blood that you took on flesh and blood, so that by your death, you might destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, which is us, who all, all of our lives are in this prison of slavery to fear. So, Father, while there is much to be afraid of, we know the answer to fear. And therefore, we can battle fear. It's not like some magic sword that we swing once and fear goes away never to return. It's the sword of truth that we swing again and again and again as we face our fears. We pray for our neighbors, many of whom have never heard this, or they've heard bits and pieces of this, and they've rejected it, or they've been confused by it. We pray that you'd help us to be a light in our neighborhoods tonight. You would give us opportunities to have meaningful conversations, and that tonight would be a bridge to the future of many more people being brought out of the prison of fear and death. So tonight we declare that this night is a hallowed night. It's a hallowed -een. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.